Well, hello, this is Gary, and you're listening to Thinking Out Loud. Today, Wednesday, November 25th, 2020, day before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving during the Corona time. Hmm. Still not even sure what my family's Thanksgiving plans are tomorrow. I think we're just, we're definitely laying low. There was a friend Thanksgiving planned, but that might even be canceled too. So much uncertainty. Hmm. So it's a weird existential calamity of a time. This final eras of the Trump era. What happens when a society's leadership is completely indifferent to external and internal threats? How those threats indeed reveal themselves and wreak havoc and cause damage. You know, the federal government in the United States was, the leadership was warned back in January about a, the threat of this, of an airborne illness that was at a 5% mortality rate a very high contraction rate and um, you know it was sweeping across the globe leadership of the our government was warned back in January and in as late as March April May June just kind of throughout the summer throughout the entirety of the year there's just kind of an continuing message from the leadership that it would just go away soon you know um, this kind of a dismissiveness, a, a lack of lack of a clear, direct message on the threat of the of this particular virus that's spread throughout the world. Um, you know, the leadership uh, within the federal government was just indifferent. Uh, what they were most concerned with was making sure the economy got back up and going so that the Dow Jones industrial average would go up that's that's what they were that's what they were focused on and in fact uh, Mr. Trump finally gave a press conference the other day although not a true one because he just talked and he didn't answer any questions he's unwilling to answer questions he's the president of the United States and he doesn't want to answer questions seems kind of why did why did 71 million people vote for that guy but anyway um but in that speech, he talked about the Dow Jones industrial average. Yay, stock prices went up. Neato. If, if you own stock, good for you. You have, have some capital gains, probably. Neato. Yeah. Uh, if you don't own stock, though, it doesn't, doesn't really mean anything for you. The Dow Jones average going up. But that's that's what the leadership within the federal government, that's what they were most concerned with when people were dying and um, hospitals were at full capacity, no beds, the fixing morgues were at capacity, you, you know, like there was people dying at a rate that was much higher than normal. Amazing how many people were just kind of dismissive of that and like, oh no, it's just like the flu. Now, 258,000 people didn't die of the flu last year in America. Yeah, no. I don't know what the exact number is, but it's uh, quite a bit less than that. 
you know, we have a vaccine for that. Whatever your thoughts are on vaccines, we don't have polio and measles anymore. People don't die from those kind of things. The reason is because of vaccines. Yeah. Um, you know. But people have their opinions, I guess, or whatever. But it's such a, that's a weird time, you know. There, there was, if our federal government had handled the, you know, the threat of the virus in a more coherent, you know, strategic way, um, we'd probably be able to have a proper Thanksgiving this year. Now, some people are going to go have a proper Thanksgiving anyway, even though there's strong recommendations to not travel all over the place. Yeah, there's going to be tens of thousands of people that are just going to do it anyway. Because, you know, we're, all of us feel like we're pretty important and that our lives are more important. You know, um, and we are right, but uh, our, we are all, all interconnected. You know, we we're, we all kind of share the space on this relatively small little ecosystem called planet Earth in a big, wild, vast universe. That's, uh, you know, one little tiny speck. So we kind of have to share this place, you know. We, we kind of, and it's in an atmosphere. So, you know, things kind of can travel across the globe pretty quickly, you know if we're all traveling around a bunch. So, you know, it would be cool if people would just, like, why can't we just postpone Thanksgiving, you know? It's the fourth Thursday of November, that's tradition, yeah. But, you know, um, there's a reason certain holidays were created, and it's almost like we, we need to, we're, it seems like we're probably about due to, like, create a new one. Um, we got some, we need, we're going to have to have some kind of, we're going to need to have some day in the fairly near future to remember all the people who have, we've lost this year. There's 258,000 people that have died of Corona and they weren't all just old people as if that's supposed to make it less whatever. You know, we're supposed to be like more indifferent if it's mostly older people, but it wasn't just old people. And even if it was all people above the age of 70, there's no reason if you're a perfectly healthy 70 year old person to just instantly die from some virus that goes around. I knew plenty of people that were sharp and healthy well into their 80s and 90s, you know, and you know, going strong. I mean, affected all ages, though. Predominantly poor, too. Affected a lot of working class folk. But Corona affected the wealthy, too. Donald Trump and his son both got Corona. They were, you know, they're millionaires. They were born extremely affluent, lived a very sheltered lifestyle their entire lives, and are still sheltered. And they had somehow found a way to get coronavirus. Like, what are you, what are you doing? You know. They really thought it would just, you could just wheel it away. <clears throat> so, I mean, that's something I'm going to be thinking about this weekend. Is just like the fact that we're 
not supposed to be traveling around and stuff. It's it's directly related to one individual and one organization's complete incompetence and indifference to the plight of the regular people and in just a, a complete uncaring about the lives of real life human people in this country you know uh, I mean th during the summer coronavirus is still raging the case is still growing and Trump and the Republicans are talking about open up the economy like what economy what, what are you talking about you know like You need healthy people in in order to have economy. Yeah, Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Jim Jordan, who you know, they ain't building the roads. They ain't cooking your food. You, you know, they're not guarding you while you sleep or anything like that. They they wear a suit and they go to meetings in D.C. They talk on the telephone and stuff. Okay, they're <laughs> they're not doing the work, you know. They're not working the assembly line or whatever, you know. They're not, you know, maintaining the electric grid, paving the roads, building the buildings, cooking your food, harvesting your food. They are doing none of that. So yeah, they're all eager to for us all to get back to work, but they're not being, exp you know, they're not doing anything. They're just wearing a suit going to meetings on the taxpayer dollar as well you know and then using their time and their government funded taxpayer funded salary to try and create laws that cut taxes for the wealthy and meanwhile we're supposed to eagerly get back to work you know risk exposing ourselves to a virus you know, especially if you're in the service industry or something like that, you know, there's, you're just going to be in closer contact with lots of different people. You know, I have a job where I'm outside all day. Not quite as ideal winter in the Northwest, but pretty nice for for this time. You know, I've been able to stay, continue working full time. But when I was uh, in, you know, working in a call center or something, you know, I don't know how that, unless you work from home and I don't know if I'd want to do call center work from home but anyway I mean there's a lot of people that have had to make a lot of adjustments because uh, there's a deadly airborne illness that's going around the globe but that's just not really what the concern is of the Republican Party and Donald Trump and other people like him they, they, they want their portfolios to grow you know they want their investment portfolios to get bigger. Yep. Yeah. So, making everyone go back to work, it may mean that some of those people die. But so be it. It's kind of the... It's basically what the Republican Party and Donald Trump believed. You know, you gotta... You gotta make the economy grow. Now, that's... The growing of the economy is one thing. I've always kind of wondered why, the why. Why do we need to grow the macro economy? Because it seems like the economy in and of itself, the total size of it, it is plenty, plenty big. Because there's there's massive amounts of resources and, and portions of the economy that is 
concentrated in just a small, tiny group. So that when you grow the macro economy, that concentrated group still gets most of the gains. You know, so it seems like the size is more than enough. We just need to get more efficient, better at distributing the resources, more of a bell curve of distribution. So, you know, the top people make certainly good money, but it's not like 5,000 times more than, you know, the average person or something. You know, um, you know, the average income is 60 grand, you know, 10 times would be 600 grand. A hundred times more, you know, there's two more zeros. Yeah, it would be six million. I mean, there's plenty of people in this country that make way, way more than six million in a year. That's kind of like a, almost like a median income as a, like a pro athlete or something, you know, in certain sports. Um, six million a year. So, but that's, a, that's about a hundred times more than what the median income is in the United States. And there's people that obviously make substantially more than that there's people that make 10 times or you know five to ten times more than that person making six million a year so you're talking we have these crazy outliers in uh, in this country as far as income earners who earn money that's just it's so far out there that it it, it there needs to be a little bit more looking into what's going on there. We, we just sort of assume that the those extreme outliers are there because they are truly that exceptional or whatever. I think that's what we like want to believe or something, you know. Um, they, they truly created something that's just super awesome and beneficial to society or something. And they, they, they've done so much that has benefited others. And the reward or something is, is this substantial amount of money that they get to build castles with and buy huge massive yachts and throw big fancy parties and it barely makes a dent in their portfolio when after buying all those things. And we want to believe that the people with that kind of money earned it. You know, it, it makes more sense in our heads as working class people if the people with the most money earned that money truly earned it you know worked the way up the ladder type thing and you know self-made and all those kind of terms that we love to say it, it it's difficult to kind of process the true reality of it that a good portion of those in the upper most rungs of the ladder trump specifically uh, did not earn their spot at the top they, they were just sort of born into it and no matter how many fuck-ups they had along the way, they were able to maintain their position. Now, obviously, if you're not born into that rung, if you're born into one of the lower rungs, the slightest misstep, and you, you could fall even further. Uh, you can end up in jail, you know. For, some, for the way that Trump has lived, the associations he's had and the things that he's engaged in and his sort of extreme moral and ethical flexibility if he was poor he probably would have already served time in jail or prison or already be dead you know I mean with those kind of associations that he's had if he was poor and less well known yeah but uh, 
you know, there's just different sets of rules for people that are born into the affluent class. They have a, a, an almost unlimited um, margin of error. It, it doesn't matter how big of a and colossal of a screw-up they make and how often and how well-known they are as a screw-up. Donald Trump was known as... Well, I was going to say... I was trying to not drop as many F-bombs as if been in the past here so screw up I'm sticking with screw up there so Donald Trump was a famous screw up and just um, and, and famous for being that way a scoundrel and a con man on full public display but we have a certain fascination with people with exorbitant amounts of money and wealth you know I, I used to watch the show Lifestyles with the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach when I was a little kid in the 80s and uh there was all kinds of wealthy, famous people on that show. I remember a lot. That he was he was one that kind of stood out because among a lot of the people on the show, there there was at least a fair number of people that were at least somewhat interesting, like the things they were saying. Yeah, I was more. I try to. Their their big fancy houses and boats and all that. I was, I was never really that impressed, but it was more like, who are they as people? What what are they about? Some of them were. You know, less than inspiring. They just had a, a fancy toys. That, that's real neat. It, you have real fancy toys and a fancy castle to live in. Who are you as a person? And Trump uh, certainly left a lot to be desired. You know, he was just kind of there wasn't anything there as as far as a, you know decent humanity about the man. Even way back then, all he was was his wealth and his privilege and the, his fancy luxurious things that he could show off that that was his entirety of his being he he had no other way of defining himself besides his wealth to the point that you would kind of embellish numbers and stuff to try to get on the Forbes list of wealthiest people in the world you know the top 100 or whatever um, he would claim ownership of things that weren't actually his or his father's, you know, and just to try to pretend like he was, you know, in the same category. And he easily could have been without really doing much of anything. I've said this many times in my podcast, but, uh, you know, if you, if you inherit a crap ton of money like Donald Trump did over the course of his life, around $400 million in today's dollars, um... You, you just invest a huge portion of it into a fixed annuity. You know, if you invest a couple hundred million, two, three hundred million, you could easily pay yourself, uh, you know, about a hundred thousand, if not more, a month, every month in perpetuity. Uh, would not be counted as income because it would be an annuity. So the tax implications would be quite different than actually earning a hundred thousand dollars a month in income. So. That's a very easy investment to make. Uh, obviously, a hundred thousand a month in after-tax income is plenty to live pretty comfortably off of, no matter what part of the world you live in. Um, and then you inherited four hundred million, so that would that would still leave like a hundred million or so that you ideally, you know, would, would invest in some sort of philanthropic endeavor. Uh, that has some sort of benefit to others. And then ideally, with the annuity that you invested that's paying you $100,000 a month, that in and of itself would also be more than enough to invest in other things. You know, if you have 100000 a month, 
you know, one month you only take out and you only spend 5000 of it. And then you roll over a few months. So then you, all of a sudden you have 300000 to invest. Boom. So then you, you, you uh, use that as a down payment on a refurbishing a new school in your community. A uh, new youth center. A uh, lot of youth enrichment act, uh, type programs and stuff you know that that's what my personal focus would be making sure that kids especially in a small town or poor working class town have plenty of things to do you know bored teenagers are can be a very uh, destructive force you know um so there's lots of options you know safe places and fun places to go and do you know and to be uh is with varying levels of adult supervision or whatever, you know, freedom, I don't know, um, that would be, that was always something I thought would be good, that, the youth center that I went to as a kid, uh, they tore that building down years ago, I don't think they ever replaced it with anything, so I don't, I don't even know if my old hometown even has a youth center, they have a Walmart and a Home Depot and an Office Max and an Applebee's and a Big Five, Sporting goods store, though. They got all those things. But they don't have a youth center. You know. Seems. And the pool they had. It was a public pool, but then. I get. It's like not public anymore or something. I don't know. That's the kind of stuff that happens, though. To a small town when. You know. All the money just kind of goes to wealthy shareholders and stuff and kind of leaves the town and there's not really an investments made in in the community things that benefit the community so i mean yeah so you inherit 400 million you're set you can live a very comfortable lifestyle for the rest of your life whether or not you ever work or do anything you know it doesn't really matter but that's what I would recommend if you inherit that kind of money. Invest in a fixed annuity that earns, it doesn't even matter, 3-4%, a very basic low rate of interest. Uh, annuitize it so that it'll pay you, you know, about $100,000 a month. Those payments, if you invested a big enough amount, like $300 million, uh, it won't ever really run out. So, um, yeah. And then with the remaining portion that you didn't invest in the annuity, uh, you invest in various philanthropic endeavors that would locally in your community that would have some sort of positive benefit. That's something personal or whatever too. So like for me, I like the idea of you know youth programs, youth centers and stuff, whether Boys and Girls Club or like something official chain like that, but more of a, a one-off specific thing, that kind of model though. You know, I think those kind of things are real important, but I don't have the kind of money for that, so it's more kind of openly stating the plans. It's kind of a, I do am a kind of a goal-oriented type person, although people that know me sometimes may not think that because my mind is always going in so many different directions almost all the time, but any one of those that kind of believes if you say certain things, they 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 can kind of basically come into being, you know. Uh, I write poetry and stuff, and um, some of several ebooks I've published. Someday I will have enough to get them printed, and I'll also find an illustrator 
that can draw some cool illustrations that are kind of inspired by some of the writings and then put all the books that I've published into one cool comprehensive model of or comprehensive book of poetry of everything I've published so far but in like a hardbound book or whatever or paperbound whatever but with illustrations and cool kind of stuff like that and it'll do well uh, what does well mean I don't know I don't not really about being some New York Times bestseller or anything but enough where like I'll be able to sell all the copies that I print so just you know print a certain number of copies a few hundred or whatever and sell each and every one of them and then hopefully you know some kind of thing where a portion of the proceeds said book go to some cool philanthropic endeavor but that is something that will happen at some point I'm going to publish all my poems in one collective thing everything I've published so far and you know because I have about 12 or 13 ebooks on there so I think it's uh, important to kind of have have like a, a vision of something and kind of plan for something and to picture it uh, visualization it helps kind of move towards that idea you know uh, so for me it's like you know getting money saved being uh, pragmatic it's uh, ongoing battle because I'm a like a lot of working class people I'm a paycheck to paycheck person um, I just got paid today, which was pretty sweet, day early, because of the holiday, it seems like. Um, but, you know, that check is basically, for all intents and purposes, it's it's already gone. Uh, you know, after rent paid and credit card payment, it's, it's done. Most people, or a good portion of the people in this country, are kind of living that way, kind of living on the margins, you know, just barely scraping by. Um... And then there's people that are maybe just a couple notches up, not maybe not totally living on the margins, but kind of not raking it in by any stretch, that are also kind of like maybe fighting things like marginal tax and stuff, you know, um, taking just a, a smidge of that excess that's in that concentrated group the affluent class, people with incomes in the multiple millions, you know, taking a few percentages, just a few more percentage points off of that to reinvest into society. It's, there's some people that just, they, they find that just too much to process or something. It's just uh, it's just frustrating this this era because there's there's so many things that we we could have moved forward, continued moving forward after in 2016, but you know there, there's just so many different you know factor pulling factors and different factions that are. But when you get down to the root of it, it's a, a lot of it's just money and sort of socioeconomic factors that are guiding a lot of leadership decisions. Republican parties, the organization that protects the interests of the wealthy, 
cutting taxes for the wealthy, cutting taxes for corporations, deregulating corporations, meaning corporations can have, don't have to invest in much in safe working conditions, and they can also pollute more easily and not have to clean, pay to clean it up. Uh, those kind of things benefit the wealthy and the people that own corporations, which is the wealthy. Democratic Party is just the other option. Uh, plenty of Democrats that kind of support tax cuts for the wealthy and corporations and stuff and are very corporate-oriented. Uh, corporations are flawed. They, there's a limit to their true economic viability. Um, what are the best businesses? Think of like the, some of the best businesses. When I think of some of the best businesses I've ever been to, they certainly weren't corporate businesses. That sort of special experience or something the, the, you, you go to and you remember that specific experience going to that place. You know, I've been to some of the the restaurants that are on uh, like Guy Ferrari show, Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives. I've been to a few of them. Um, one in Salt Lake City and uh, had the best Reuben I've ever had in my life. Salt Lake City and then there's, uh, there's one in Spokane. I think there's one in Portland that I've been to. But, but Though, uh, what was the one in Spokane? I wish I could remember it. But it's named after an old random baseball player. But they served like really good, I think like hot dogs and all kinds of gourmet hot dogs and had just a good selection of beer and stuff. Just amazing food. Um, certainly better than anything, any burger I ever ate at McDonald's or Burger King, or, you know, that just sort of generic Americana that you get with the corporate restaurants, you know. There's something special about those sort of one-off local businesses. They're one of a kind. There's a certain almost pricelessness of certain kinds of places that they're they are just a business, just the business. I you know I guess some of those, but they're a little more special than you know, like a, a like a locally owned and owned and operated even hardware store. You know, it has a different feel to it than like a Home Depot. You know, there's a different, you know, emotional connection to the place or whatever. Because um, corporations can be kind of, yeah, they're they're just they're just too big, you know, and and they have to kind of they can't contour as easily they're, they're these big huge massive barge you know they're trying to uh, you know pull into a small little harbor you know um, something you know they're, they're just they're clunky then on while pretending to be extremely efficient um, but there's, there's a lot of slippage a ton of slippage that we don't we don't even really know how to properly uh, tabulate and calculate the amount of slippage that occurs in our economy specifically due to large corporations funneling you know insufficiently uh, distributing resources you know there's a certain amount of revenues that are raised by corporations and a certain percentage that just goes to shareholders and the execs running the corporation and not the people working at the corporation the people working at the corporation if they get more money they they have more money to spend on things they need and it creates more commerce possibly even at the very corporation that they work of their own money
but too much focus over too many years has been on growing the economy instead of making the economy more efficient you know economies of certain size um, if but what what's in it you know what's it composed of you know how, how much of that total amount is owned by you know the top couple thousand people you know and, and the answer is like a a sizable percentage is just owned by a few thousand people literally a few thousand the population of a tiny little town is what owns like the top I forget what the I always hear different ones but it's something like you know the top tenth of a percent owns like the top owns like 20% of the economy you, I mean because you're talking billionaires and a billion one billion with a B is 1,000 millions so you know, I mean you're, you're, you're talking crazy amounts of, of money that's kind of concentrated and really you know basically just just a handful of people almost you know not literally but relative to a population of 300 plus million a few thousand people owning 20 percent of the economy is pretty pretty alarming you know a few few tenths of a percent um, but you know and, and until people get kind of over yeah because we kind of went we we went all in and we went all in a years years ago that it it just sort of became well this is how we do it you know that this is what it is to to be alive and to live in America no matter where you live no matter what town you're in you can go to a McDonald's you can go visit the Walmart you can visit the Burger King and the Wendy's every single town eventually becomes exactly the same it has the exact same stores the exact same restaurants the exact same businesses all are exactly the same every single town yay you, you know um, but we've been slowly going that way for a long time and for whatever reason that a lot of people found it really appealing I, I, I don't I don't really know why uh, like you know I pay a I would like to pay a little less for groceries where I live, but where I live, there's no corporate things. I think a lot of people decided that, like, it was worth it to save 10% to sort of give up on any sort of unique experience of any kind, you know, to just sort of go with the sort of cookie cutter, you know, just rubber stamp style urban planning and just kind of accept that you know just kind of go with every town just kind of looks the same every town has the exact same businesses and even you know might even have ones where like there might be a place where there used to be a family restaurant there and then eventually goes out of business and then it's replaced by an Applebee's or whatever you know Chili's or whatever some some corporate restaurant instead of some local family-owned place or whatever those types of places just have they're just better local businesses small businesses um, and I think that's where the efficiency 
improvements in our economy lie. There's someday, I think there's going to be a whole heap of these big, huge block corporate stores that are just going to look really clunky and stupid. Uh, I think especially in a more progressive generation to come, they're going to see these big, vast black top concrete spreads of parking lot with the like the trees kind of positioned here and there and it's just i think it's going to look really dumb to some future generations if there is a time when they kind of fully accept oh yeah yeah we we do live on this planet we do have to take care of it and stuff i think the way that some cities are designed with no flow whatsoever and then this this big huge behemoth store that's just plopped right down it's going to look dumb and I think there's going to be a move here in the next however many years to kind of re-envision uh, those kinds of places and I think there's going to be I think eventually like a, like a Walmart I think is, a, is an easy one to start like a, like a location by location boycott you know basically just each location in a certain town if you're a town of a certain size just work together you know you you, you made a mistake you invited Walmart and then after you invited Walmart they brought in a bunch of other corporate stores and and then you were lulled into believing that that's the only way to have an economy is to have all these big corporate stores there and you were lulled into believing that that money raised by that corporation was going to somehow be invested in your community and you know you were misled um, Home Depot is a corporation. Its specific purpose is to benefit, increase shareholder value. Yeah. So it, its location, it wherever, in wherever, anywhere USA, um, it is just one of its thousands of locations. Um, the more locations it has that are operating in the black, uh, the the more dividends it can pay out to its shareholders. And that's it. Yeah. You know. So, that's why I think there's like a several-pronged approach to kind of re-envisioning the economy to one that's more locally business-focused. Marginal tax, estate tax, wealth tax, you implement all those all at once. Uh, raise corporate taxes. In the meantime, you, you engage the universal basic income you start the universal basic income you started out at a very basic amount really low like 500 a month to start after that universal basic income will then switch to a freedom dividend after the first year of everyone just getting 500 a month there'll be a freedom dividend it will be a specific percentage of a tax collected on basically every trans transaction a tenth of a percent and then there'll be other taxes on very specific pur purchases you know, luxury homes are worth over a million, um, you know, very specific sort of overindulgent type pur purchases that only a small percentage of the people make. There are threats to take their money elsewhere. Okay, okay, that's fine. They can leave. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, that just means the things that they own, they don't own them anymore. That That's it. Yeah, there's this weird thing that people have where like, well, if we raise the tax rate on the wealthy, they're going to leave. Okay, and what's your point? I don't 
<laughs> yeah, if if you own a company, it, it it that's a publicly held company, and you're the major shareholder. It's not really your company. If you sell your shares, then you sell your shares, and yeah, the other people can buy them. So. Yeah, if you don't want to invest in the United States of America, then you don't have to, you know. Um, yeah, but if you're going to be earning money in this country, then, yeah, you're going to pay pay taxes. Yeah, because you, you're, you're benefiting. Your, your business is benefiting from being in this country. There is a certain profit and revenue stream available because we are, you know, a free, you know, democratic society and all that sort of thing. There are a lot of benefits to doing business in the United States of America, uh, there's there are certain you know pretty basic kind of things that, like if you're going to have a restaurant, uh, we have food inspection. Uh, you know, a, a food and safety inspector that'll kind of show up scheduled times and then also just kind of randomly at, at times too, and just kind of check in and see, make sure that you're storing your food at the appropriate temperature. Um, that your all your stuff is kind of well maintained and clean, uh, and if you're not doing that, um, you may face some kind of fine and a certain amount of time to get get your shit situated. Or if it's really bad, you might just get instantly shut down for like 30 days or something. So that kind of stuff is important, you know. Um, it's a f relatively low cost, really, to have people that kind of make sure, just as a a little check and balance type thing that restaurants are cooking food safely you know people that are going to be preparing food for people you know that they're doing it in a safe ethical manner and all that you know uh, and then those other types of inspections like that for certain types of businesses make sure that you know they're paying the bills that they need to pay you know paying their tax bill they're not they're abiding by appropriate accounting procedures and stuff and then you know we also have taxes to help fund police fire department um, various construction road roads and bridge projects and stuff and uh, you know the schools that we send our children to and all that kind of thing uh, but also nice if uh, public funding also went to maintain uh, the healthcare system in other words we raise enough money which we do have, obviously. We're the wealthiest country in the world. So there is enough money to fund hospitals. There, the argument against universal health care is a very strange one. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, you know. Obviously, if people are more healthy and have easier access to health care, that, that's a good benefit. And, and that would obviously increase productivity in the long term, you know, because people would be healthier. Why is the Republican Party against productivity? Why are they against the working class having health care? What, what's the specific justification there? You know, um, because I think it's because they like the idea of working class people's right to health care being tied to the job that they have. Therefore, they'll be more loyal to that job, especially if it's some corporate gig that they've been working at for a little while, but maybe it's a little spiritually draining because it's, you know, it's a corporation and you're simply one cog in the wheel. Um, I think I've said this before. When I when I worked at Comcast for, I, I was there for a couple cups of coffee. Um, 
my title was sales account executive two. There was uh, 30 people in my sort of training class that were going to have the same title. We had a month-long training class or whatever. When we hit the floor, there was probably about 100, 200 other people with our title. And then in that building, there was also like other agents that had other sort of skill sets or whatever. And it was like it was like a four-floor building. Every floor was Comcast call center. There was a couple hundred agents on every floor. That's a big company. And that was just one call center location. I mean, there were several all over the country. Um, that's, uh, yeah, it's very cog in the wheel feeling. I definitely prefer small businesses, even though I've made, you know, my income wise, my best years have been charter communications, ITT tech and, uh, Comcast were my best earnings, but, uh, definitely the least fulfilling type jobs. Because, you know, you're just, you're not really, you're just helping this big, you're just one of many thousands of people helping this big, massive thing get bigger. And by it getting bigger, it can pay a nicer dividend to its shareholders, of which you are not one of. Yay. You know? And then you can engage in whatever sort of justification in your head, like, oh, well, the service I'm offering is really cool and people dig it. But I don't, like when I, three and a half years I worked at Charter, I, I never once used Charter Communications because I didn't live in an area that had Charter. I, I don't even think I had Comcast at the time. I didn't even have cable. But I was selling cable phone and internet, TV phone and internet, eight hours a day. And in retention, so trying to convince people not to cancel it. So... I'd like to see more options for small businesses, a, a further encouraging of small business, and also a, a kind of a cap on businesses getting too big. You know, some corporations are just too damn big, and we gotta we gotta get off this emotional attachment we have with some of them. You know, um, there's plenty of Wendy's, Jack in the Box, McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell, Taco Time, Arby's. You know. There, there's plenty of those. We we don't need any more locations of those built, but they're they still go up, you know. And there's plenty of Walmart locations for that matter too. So we got to find a better way to re envision those spaces, those physical spaces where Walmart locations are now. Because some of them they do leave, and when they do leave, they're not going to give you a whole lot of notice. Walmart, the corporation, could give two shits about your town. Whatever the people who are working at that location think, the boots on the ground, yeah, they may love the town because they're probably working in the town. But the regional manager that is, you know, managing however many different Walmarts in the greater area, visits the town from time to time or whatever, they don't really give a fuck. It, it's just corporation, the location needs to be profitable. If it ceases to be profitable and they don't have a uh, optimum strategy for making it profitable, or a viable strategy, then they'll close the location. And usually with little to any notice. What if the location was like a center of commerce and, you know, community and stuff? My hometown, that's what the Walmart has become. And it became it so quick. It was sad, you know? It's just how quickly a town can just sell out. 
you know, we need a Walmart. Like, why do you need a Walmart? We, we already had a Kmart, so of course the Kmart eventually, after many years, eventually they went out of business. So now that's just, that became a big empty building. And then it became a, a tractor place, and then it then that went out. And it was like a Halloween store. It's, I mean, it's changed names a bunch of times. But that space was just fine for a Walmart. You know, the, the town wasn't really big enough to have two big giant anchor stores like that. But it found a way, because, yeah, once the Walmart came in, then Home Depot wasn't much later, then Big Five, then Office Max, Applebee's, you know. Not a whole lot of... And then after all those corporate stores came in, then they tried to do the sort of revamping the old town section that's all, you know, small little shops and stuff, and that's been a... That's been a pretty hit and miss, because they didn't... Because they, they kind of sold out first, you know. They kind of invited all the big corporate stuff in right along the main drag. So when people are driving through the town, that's what they see. They're not, you know, so it's kind of, you know, the town is this kind of cookie-cutter, this corporate thing, you know. The, the small town that has a McDonald's, a Jack in the Box, a Burger King, Wendy's, you know and a Taco Bell. Yeah. Nothing really too original about it. It could have been a, and it was at one time, a kind of a unique, interesting little town. But those days are long gone. You know, it's sad. Um, but, you know, I mean, I go back home for every once in a while, but a day or two is about all I can manage. Um, a few years ago, I actually went back more often because I was actually got a gig painting houses for a bit. But it's depressing, you know. It's a small town that could have grown more gradually, more organically, but instead chose to sell out. Chose to go for the big corporate behemoth store, and um, you know, it's a, it's just a it's, it's like a dreary place that's also in a big hurry, you know. Um, it, I've been through Aberdeen before, where Kurt Cobain was from, uh, years ago, and it was like, woof. I see why growing up there you... Anyway, but I worry that my town's going to go that direction. If the Navy ever leaves my hometown, that's it. It, it. it would be like the lumber industry leaving Aberdeen. You know, it's, uh, it would be, it would be game over. It would have to, the town would have to completely reinvent itself, but it, it grew too big. It has too many, it's, the corporate, once you get the corporate stuff in there, it's kind of a feeding the beast type thing. You have to kind of, it, ha, it has to, it's, it has to maintain a real high profit in order to stay open. If if, if there's the slightest bit of, you know, the corporation will just sever the cord and just leave a big empty building. You know, they don't really care if it's an eyesore or not in your hometown. That's not really the corporation's concern. So hopefully a lot of small towns like my hometown, Old Carver, Washington, um, can start uh, finding a way to get away from so much reliance on the corporate thing 
it's probably tough with towns like mine though being a military town because uh, you know there's only a certain percentage generally that's truly permanent in the town you know however but there's a fair percentage of people in Oak Harbor at any given time that are only planning on living there for a few years and it's like there's probably a lot of other people like that too where they like the that's like the appeal of those corporate things the familiarity of it you know it's just like the one in back in Virginia or California or wherever you know <clears throat> but be sweet to imagine a better one it's easy for me to picture uh, an easy one because you know I live in such a place now there is no there is no corporate you know there is no McDonald's Jack and Box Burger King but there are places that get a cheeseburger several different places a few different pizza places you know there's a brewery even you know um, you know there's a couple different places to grab beer or whatever if you want to grab a beer there's plenty of good restaurants little shops and stuff and there's a couple different places to buy groceries now actually there's there is three Although the third one I haven't checked out yet because it's a co-op, but I do want to, I've gotten, but you know, this, it's all locally owned. So all the money, it just gets funneled right back in. A lot of the excess groceries or discounted groceries or whatever that the grocery store doesn't sell or whatever, or the timetable thing, they just, they just distribute right to the food bank and then the food bank gives away for free to people that need food. There's kind of a circular type thing within this community and it's nice uh, you don't get that with the corporation the, the, as soon as you sell out it, I mean you're going to have to fight and claw to get your town back <laughs> I mean and it, it can happen so slowly over time that when like for me going back to my I, I've never fully adjusted to it the way my town is now it, it's still just so jarring but I, I suppose for the people that have and living there the continuum they just sort of slowly adapted to the way it is now and probably don't even remember what it used to look like they've just become this is what Okarba looks like now you know so for me I still picture I mean it wasn't that long ago 10 20 years whatever what big vast areas of the town looked like there was just lots of like there was old farmhouses still hanging out kind of on the edge of the business area and the way the town is laid out there wasn't really any need for some some of the expansion there was there, what there needed to be was a an efficiency improvement you know but I don't know I'm hoping that just over these next few months these final months of the Trump era and stuff that better options start being presented to people better ways of presenting information Better ways to try to find some kind of way to, uh, I don't know, engage with the Trump folk. Because uh, um, that, that belief system is so confusing to me, I, I don't really understand the uproarious praise of Donald Trump. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't compute. I, I, don't, I don't get it. But I, I, to be honest, I never did. Even as a kid, I didn't. I didn't understand the appeal of the man. You know, and um, so it'd be nice to figure out some way to try to engage better with those people and to try to help. You know, help them too. You know, 
and have a society that's uh, best representative of the people and you know we look out for each other healthcare, education safe roads, just bridges to drive on protection from foreign invaders and all that kind of thing yeah and some kind of basic concerns that you have some kind of safety net if shit goes crazy that'd be nice not asking a lot <laughs> we the people are not asking that much asking for the right to go to a hospital if you get sick is not that crazy of a request if the wealthy asshole that owns three different castles has to postpone one of the renovations on their castles because their tax rate went up that's going to help fund hospitals so be it All right, I'm gonna call that today. So stay safe out there. Happy Thanksgiving. God bless. This is Gary. Thinking out loud.